Hello, friends, and thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. You could have been tuning into anything else. You could have been watching the Kardashians, but you tuned into this. So much appreciated. All right, quick PSA. If you've never been to a Bitcoin meetup, if you've never met Bitcoiners in the flesh, do yourself a favor, hop onto inverted commas here, X, or go into Telegram, find a Bitcoin only group, not blockchain. That's a waste of time. Go into Bitcoin only. Uh, Go into meetup.com, go into the Orange Pool app, try and just meet people in real life, try and get together and find a meetup close by. Nothing will compare to meeting people in the flesh. You'll discover why Bitcoiners are just so optimistic about the future. You'll discover why they're so bright. I mean, I find them to be some of the brightest, most thoughtful people. Not all of them, obviously, but I really find uh, I get so much value and signal out of engaging with Bitcoiners so much and it's just so nourishing so we had a bitcoin meetup last night in brisbane great food great steak um, great conversation great presentations great location it was stunning and today i'm walking on sunshine it's absolutely uplifting get stuck in do it okay today's guest is anita posh anita is an educator and an author she's also the founder of a non-profit organization called bitcoin for fairness a uh, organization that's really focused on education and awareness of Bitcoin, predominantly in Africa. Hence the reason for my interest. I'm a South African and I was like, I really want to understand what's happening in not only my home country, but in my home continent, because I'm living in Australia and I don't have a bloody clue with what's happening. So that was actually really fantastic, understanding how things were going there, what were some of the challenges, what were some of the learnings, uh, and, and how do people actually view Bitcoin? I so appreciated uh, Anita's candor, and everything she brought to the table. She met and exceeded my expectations. So thanks so much for joining me, Anita. Can't wait to meet you in person in Cape Town at the Adopting Bitcoin Conference, where we'll both be speaking. If anyone wants to make a mission through to Africa to come and check out Cape Town in particular, it's my hometown, absolutely dreamy. Hit me up. You've heard enough from me. Peace out, friends. Which one's the best crypto asset? Well, Bitcoin's the best crypto asset. Okay. What's the second best? There is no second best. There is no second best crypto asset. Hello friends and welcome to the Why Bitcoin Show. I'm your host, Dale Warburton. It's a weekly podcast on why Bitcoin matters and what makes it completely different to all other cryptocurrencies. If you're interested in Bitcoin and you'd like to distill crypto fact from fiction, you've come to the right place. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, Anita Posh. I don't think she needs much introduction. Welcome to the show, Anita. <laughs> Maybe in Australia, I need more introduction. Hi, Dave. Thank you very much for the invitation. No, it's an absolute, absolute pleasure to have you. And uh, I have to say, as a South African, I've been watching you from afar since I've been in this space and really impressed by the work you've been doing in Africa. I mean, frankly, you're doing a lot more stuff in the Bitcoin space than I have in my home, well, shall I say, former home continent. So I hope we get into some of that too today. But I think um, as a starting point, I like to just try and sort of set the scene. I mean, would you mind uh, sharing a little bit about what were you doing before Bitcoin and you know, did how did that help you see it all um, and get you in the space in the first place? Yeah, I think uh, you're right. That's a great question because I think what you have been doing before or had been doing before 
um, is influencing the way how you find out about Bitcoin and also that you realize now um, immediately or a little bit after some uh, looking into it, um, what it can do and, and, and what it basically is. And I started um, actually, <laughs> I'm a urban planner by design. Wow. <laughs> I, I started urban planning, but very early on. In 1997, I finished the studies and I worked three, four years in the space as an urban planner. And then, you know, the internet came along in Austria. And from 1997 on, I basically had my first email and access to the internet. And I thought, wow, uh, that is really something I want to do something with. And um, so in the year 2000, I did another uh, education on the SAE. You might know it. It's also in, in Australia, as far as I know, it's a college. And I did a, it was called multimedia producer back then. Okay. <laughs> and we learned things like uh, programming, uh, CD-ROMs uh, and things like that. And, and HTML to do websites, static websites back in those days. Okay. And so then I started as a web designer in the year 2000 and uh, did that for the next 15, 16 years. So I have been doing um, all sorts of uh, web development and e-commerce uh, pages. Mostly I was self-employed. We also built a uh, tool like a Etsy for Austria. Mm -hmm. um, but our own development also we had a marketplace for co-working spaces that we started in 2006 where no one in Vienna actually knew what a co-working space is <laughs> and so I was all, always a little bit ahead of time I have the feeling and um, when in 2016, I decided I don't want to do that anymore. This e-commerce and online marketing stuff is not really a contribution uh, to the world, uh, <laughs> at least not for me personally. And I was looking for something that makes more sense. And so I had a six months uh, time uh, off basically from work to, to find new things and what's going on in the world. And funnily enough, I spent six months in Berlin, and despite the fact that Berlin is one of the hotspots for Bitcoin in Europe, I haven't found Bitcoin in 2016. <laughs> Although in 2011, the first time I found a tweet of me uh, from 2011 uh, when I spoke about Bitcoin, but I believed it's just another PayPal and uh, dismissed it for that reason. And so in 2017, then early 2017, when I thought, okay, I haven't found anything new. So I'm going to do an online marketing and web design again, web development. Okay, it's also fine. <laughs> uh, and then in April 2017, I uh, visited a keynote and where someone uh, was uh, speaking about the uh, social improvements and uh, impact that Bitcoin and open blockchains can have on the world. And I was like blown away. I was like, wow, uh, <laughs> that is so interesting. And that is actually what I want to do. And from that moment on, yeah, I just taught myself basically with the resources that I found online, uh, reading books, uh, uh, watching a lot of Andreas Antonopoulos videos and stuff like that. 
And uh, the first thing I did was also start writing my own book about Bitcoin for beginners, because I thought, and I'm still convinced about that, um, if you want to teach someone uh, something uh, to someone else, then you need to understand it yourself. And the best way to do is uh, that is write about it. Yeah. Totally. And so it all started, actually. Yeah. So begins your journey into Bitcoin. Yeah, that's uh, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Anita, in terms of like the lifestyle that you live, um, you know, I, I know you travel from country to country. You're all over the show. Yeah, I know you're, you're spending some time in the US and then you're in Africa and obviously you probably head home to Europe there. What's it like, um, in, you know, just in terms of not necessarily always having a strong home base and always on the go? Because I think when I think about is it something that I could personally do i think it, it's quite a challenge i've chatted to so-called digital nomads in the past and mm -hmm. it, they describe the advantages obviously um and then they also talk about some of the downsides so are you willing to maybe just uh, share a little bit about what it's like being a, a bitcoin educator flying around the world and um doing the good work yeah, yeah. of the orange coin yeah yeah we can do that yeah <laughs> super so Okay, so um, shall I just begin with my yes. impressions? I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I, you know, I actually, the, the, the thing is, I have a long history going back with that idea because um, exactly when I started out in 2000, 2001 as a web designer, one of, or as a solopreneur, like say it like that, uh, my goal was always, always to be able to spend European summer in a warm area so that I'm able to do my work from wherever I want. Um, this has upsides and downsides because the downside is you work then wherever you are. <laughs> and it's very hard to be so dis disciplined uh, to then really enjoy also the new surroundings where you are and not only work. Um, and um, yeah, I'm learning that myself. So in so basically Bitcoin actually just enabled me to do that on the one hand, because uh, after a few years, I was able to live from the earnings I had in Bitcoin and was also so independent from my work that I could make location independence happening. And um, at the same time, I know so many people around the world now also through Bitcoin um, that I could go basically to so many countries where I know at least one person who I know from a conference or from a talk or I don't know, um, from the space. And yeah. that person is a trusted person and I have never seen them, but I could go there, visit them. And uh, they even let me stay in their apartments and things like that because they trust me uh, the same way. And this is, and the third factor is of course, like uh, being location independent through the use of Bitcoin, which is also great because um, yeah, of course, uh, I can use my credit cards or Apple Pay here in the US, but I cannot do that in Zimbabwe, for instance. Yeah, so um, I stayed several months in Zimbabwe. And then, yeah, I mean, if you can't access, you can access your bank account via online banking, but you can't use uh, credit cards in Zimbabwe. And of course, you can't also get money out of an ATM. 
And so Bitcoin is very helpful in that sense as well, that I can use it everywhere I go. I find peers who exchange it locally uh, into the national currency or into US dollars for me. And that's also a big enabler of uh, the journey I have been on so far. And so also with the conferences going on, I'm actually wherever I go at the, at the conference, I'm speaking there. And then I try to also stay there for a couple of days or at least or weeks. The, I started the whole thing in April last year, meaning I don't have an apartment uh, anymore. So since April, 2022, I'm on the road basically. Um, staying mostly I try to stay at least two to three weeks uh, or a month because otherwise it's really much too stressful sometimes um, I'm going only into a conference and the day after I'm going out of the country again but yeah the downside is of course that you whenever you you settle down a little bit somewhere you have to leave again and it's also of course hard uh, to not be surrounded by your friends and your family and partner and things like that. So um, that's very stressful. So when I came back um, to European summer from Africa, I spent uh, 2022 from September until end of April, I would say in Africa, I came back to Europe and uh yeah, then, then you get acquainted uh, with your friends and family again. And then I stayed two months in Austria. And then, yeah, I wanted to leave. And on the other side, it's, of course, sad to leave again. So, yeah. and there's also a lot of organization to do. So the last days, I was basically just like checking flights, um, hotels, Airbnbs, visum, like a visa for Bali, for instance, I need a visa. Yeah. Uh, for Ghana, I will need a visa and things like that. So there's a lot of organization also behind. But what I really, really like about it is also uh, the minimalism. So mm. I'm traveling with uh, one suitcase and one backpack. That's it. I'm, I'm not a, a carry-on alone traveler. So no, I'm, I'm not like Vitalik Buterin, who only has one backpack and one trousers. <laughs> I need a, I need a little bit more than that, uh, but I'm also fine with one suitcase. I always try to downsize. So so that's also there's also a lot of preparation going into that. You know, finding your setup like also with. I mean, I'm basically traveling with my office, and oh, yes. um, so that yeah, there's always a lot of changes going on. I mean, the last two days, for instance, I also spent with uh, setting up a new uh, workaround or workflow for my videos, you know, because actually I didn't have one. <laughs> and so there haven't been a lot of videos produced by me or uh, about me on YouTube recently. And I wanna uh, speed that up and, and make it more, how do you say, efficient efficiency my, yeah. and also have a nicer setup for my life course and things like that and then you just do that for two days and you and I'm actually in the US and I'm in Austin and would like to see a little bit of Austin but then you also only have time on the weekend basically to do that so 
Yeah, I mean, these are a few of the challenges. I mean, maybe maybe you have any ideas or questions? Uh, no, where, I think um, yeah. I think you've covered most of them. I mean, I spoke with Luke Mikic, um, you know, a fellow Bitcoiner who's been traveling all over the world, and you've sort of nailed most of the things. You know, there's there's a lot of upsides. There's obviously a lot of downsides. There's trade offs, like everything in life, and so um, yeah, I think the the one that resonated the most with me was. Um, the idea of it's exciting to be in a new place and just as you're sort of settling in, you've got to move. And then also having that mm. discipline while you're there to actually do the work. Because one of my best friends, he's um, he's absolutely passionate about the African wilderness. They go to the Kruger Park and other sort of nature reserves. And that's mm -hmm. where he'll post something online and says, here's my office. And I go, oh, yeah, that's nice. But I know that you're probably sitting around at a water hole um half wishy you could just be watching animals and it's not as fun i'd rather be in many it's, ways i'd rather be all there you know yeah i know it's it's hard um when i was in in zimbabwe and zambia i always said i want to have at least a week going out on a safari or doing something like that but we never made it and so this time <laughs> i have to do this absolutely and um it's, it's also, I have to say, what's really exhausting in these countries is that the internet connections are so bad. Like in Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. I had to stop producing my podcast because I couldn't do uh, online videos or, or interviews like with you now. It's, it's simply not possible. Mm -hmm. Or if I would record locally on my uh, computer, I can't upload it. So... Um, that, that are also challenges in every country. There's a different situation with the internet and what's the, the SIM that you're using now? I mean, now yes. Bitrefill has eSIMs, which is great because now before I go into a new country, I can buy an eSIM with Lightning and install it. And when I go to the place, I only have to activate it and I uh, immediately have data. Um, so, so which is very helpful, just yes. like for the beginning until you settle in somewhere. But these are all these kinds of things you need to learn. But, yeah, there's no yeah, manual, so, hey, Anita. Like no one's no, uh, teaching you this. You got to figure this out. No, that's. Um, I appreciate you sharing that because yeah, it's. Um, it, it's. Uh, people appreciate the work that you do, but then I don't think they understand some of the innate challenges that come with it. I'm sure what you do is very rewarding, but there are obviously a lot of downsides. Mm. I think. One of the questions I had for you was, you know, you, you've clearly somebody who's focused on human rights and things like privacy and probably like a lot of Bitcoin maxis. I would describe you as a maxi, not a toxic maxi, but I'd say, uh, you know, as someone, it, it resonates with your soul. Like there's something that drives you here that's bigger than, it's not just here, yeah, we're here to make a lot of money. There's, there's something bigger. I, I, I kind of know what mine is, but I'd be really interested to understand what is it that made you want to just throw in the towel with fiat life and then go all in on Bitcoin? Like what, what is it about Bitcoin that makes that touches your soul, if you like? Uh, yeah. So now, like, as you say, if I were interested in money, uh, earning a lot of money, then I would not be in the human rights section of Bitcoin. You know, <laughs> um, I would talk about macroeconomical stuff or things like that, or how to invest and get rich in five years. That's the one thing. Yeah. Why do I do that? Like, look, I, I was born lesbian <laughs> and I am still and the first 30 to 35 years of my life, even in Austria, 
there was no legal arrangement for uh, me and a partner to to have some sort of security. You know, I, I I'm not about like marrying the classical marriage th thing. That's not my thing. But but like ju just have some security and some recognition and not being basically deprived of rights just because. I, I live a little bit differently, you know, I mean, in, in the end, I'm the same as everyone else. And I think that touched myself, of course, because that's my identity. And basically, the government and the nation state and its regulations uh, said, you're not the same. And I was like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the second thing was basically mm, the narrations like, from my grandparents about the war the second world war and how it was when the nazis came to austria and got into power and as a child to um get those first-hand experiences from my grandparents when they were telling me about their jewish friends what happened to them and things like that so basically i didn't or uh, i'm not trusting anyone <laughs> to be honest centralized authorities who's in power yes Cent yeah Exactly. I don't trust centralized authorities. Mm. And uh, that's something new. I discussed it recently with other Bitcoiners. I'm always preparing for the worst in a way, you know. Mm. Uh, it's also a lot of people who had some traumatas in their childhood or in their life. They over prepare for the worst. So I'm not a prepper. So, you know, like I don't have a bunker somewhere or things like that. But I, I try to uh, be... Do you say that fail safe? No, like safe yes. everywhere, you know? Mm. And um, I think these kinds of things and also my experience with online communication and online uh, commerce, like accepting payments over the internet, how complicated that was and how expensive it was. And it still is for many people in many countries. And actually, it's impossible for billions of people to connect to this financial network because they don't have an ID. So that very much um, informs me or like was the reason for my decision to be all in, in Bitcoin. And I mean, in the education and in all of my other work I do for sharing the Bitcoin knowledge and what it can do for people in uh, in countries like uh, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and many, many more. And so it has something to do with fairness, of course. And that's mm. why my NPO is called uh, Bitcoin for Fairness, because Bitcoin is the only tool, also Bitcoin is a tool for me, and it enables people to freely transact even if the government uh, doesn't want them to for different reasons or uh, other reasons like the uh, like the country, the dictatorship and the country is on the sanctions list of the US. <laughs> yeah, that uh, mostly influences people's lives, not the dictator's lives, you know, they do what they want anyhow. Mm. So I think it's this sense of, <laughs> yeah, the world, the world is unfair. It is. Uh, but there's thing that i can do about it i can help or support at least i don't know how many people with with knowledge about bitcoin and how they can achieve financial freedom by being able to send and receive money when they want it without uh, anyone being able to interfere or censor their money or their access to money yes so um, that's basically the reason yeah brilliant Oh, there's so many different things there because it's almost like there's parts of your actual identity that have driven you towards that space in terms of like mm -hmm. 
you know, your your uh, sexuality and all that jazz. It's it's funny because my my best man is a lesbian. She's she's my best friend at the <laughs> best man at my wedding. And um, you know, when when she sort of came out to me, I was like, I felt really kind of um felt kind of sad in some way because I was like, I never have to say to my parents, hey mom, dad, I like girls, you know, and to carry this weight on their shoulders. And I saw her and several of my other friends who went through a similar journey that period of angst and like um, <laughs> mental anguish. And some people it's shorter mm -hmm. than others, but some uh, you could even say, just don't ever, if they haven't fully come out, then they, they, they sit with it forever. And it's just one of these things. And it's like, who the hell are governments to tell us what we can do in our private lives? So that kind of resonates with me on a really deep level. And yeah, I think when you, when you speak about Bitcoin as sort of freedom technology, first and foremost, I mean, that's something that I actually want to unpack here because not many people, I guess, understand, you know, how challenging things are in Africa in many ways. Um, you know, here we could talk about, I mean, you're in the States at the moment, people will talk about the US dollar as a shit coin. We can complain about the Aussie dollar as a shit coin is going to zero. Uh, we still have access to capital markets around the world. We can still invest in mm -hmm. S&P 500. If you're sitting in Africa and, you know, I'll just take South Africa because I know, well, you're sitting there in the township and you've got South African rands, you know, what the hell can you do about that? Your money's debasing. You've, you actually, you just see that things are becoming increasingly expensive. Um, you don't have necessarily a bank account or a credit card or anything like that, all of these tools. And in that sense, Bitcoin is this, uh, is this technology that just enables frictionless, seamless uh, transfers of money between people. I think what I always think about when it comes to Bitcoin and in Africa is the big question. How do we deal with volatility? Like how do these people handle it? Because obviously if you're pricing your life in fiat and the Bitcoin price is going up and down, like maybe now it's good if you had some sats, it's up whatever, 6% over the last few weeks, but it could easily go down 20%. So yeah, how, how does yeah. one actually deal with that um, when you engage with people on the ground? Yeah, so the first thing is you need to tell them. <laughs> yes. So uh, the expect expectation has to be, it will go down. Uh, I'm so sure of it, yeah. And I mean, that's the reason why many people also use stable coins. We need to say it as it is, you know, like in Zimbabwe, for instance, uh, of all the people who exchange US dollars to cryptocurrency, it's 80% who want USDT, so stablecoin, and only 20% want Bitcoin because they save it for the long term. And those 80%, they want the positive sides of a cryptocurrency, like being able to send it in and out. But they all know that the US dollar is for them the most stable uh, currency. I mean, mm -hmm. yes. Um, they just debased it again, you know. Um, so the the US dollar has lost value again in the last days, and that globally because the US central bank or Federal Reserve and the government decided we need to print another I don't know how many billion uh, US dollars that in uh, that um, has an influence on anyone who's using uh, everyone who's using US dollar globally. So people still compared to like the South African rand or the Zimbabwe dollar, the US dollar is still a hard currency for many people. So I always tell people, look, either, either you are able to save a certain amount in Bitcoin for the next three to five years and you don't touch it, or you exchange it to local currency and use it for spending. 
So um, there's a big difference also between the northern countries and the southern countries in a way like northern developed and developing world. I don't like these names, but yeah, it's like that is that that in our space, in our regions, I would say the store of value proposition of Bitcoin, like the investment perspective uh, of Bitcoin is the dominating one. Whereas in the global south, the uh, exchange, uh, the medium of exchange aspect is dominating. So uh, people are really using the Bitcoin they receive, uh, earn to, to spend it again. So they exchange it immediately and get their things in uh, their local currency. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I tell them. Um, I mean, I, I'm not teaching how to use a stable coin, but... Um, if someone is asking me, I will tell them, yes, I mean, the danger with uh, USDT is also it can blow up because it's a centralized uh, form of uh, a token, yeah, and not yeah. decentralized like Bitcoin. But then in the end, it's their decision what they want to do. 100%. I mean, I suppose if I had to say, do I trust Tether more or the Zimbabwean uh, central bank? I'd probably <laughs> go for Tether. <laughs> All things Absolutely. considered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Obviously, um, the, the nature of my show is such that the one thing I want to do differently, I guess, is make sure that I'm always touching on this crypto issue. And I feel as if there are people uh, in the world, crypto entrepreneurs, we can call them, who are trying their hardest to exploit, I guess, perhaps some of the ignorance in Africa around the distinction between crypto and Bitcoin. You know, I find Charles uh, Hodgkinson of Cardano to be one of the most egregious. Um, there's others who are funding universities. My old university, University of Cape Town, they had a, a partnership with Algorand. And I'm thinking, what the mm. fuck is going on here? Like, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about sort of what you've seen on the ground in terms of being able to distinguish the two and how do you describe it to ordinary people? Because I don't think that they're probably going to resonate with unregistered securities. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, what you not mentioned was WorldCoin, which is oh. even worse, you know, when you yes. uh, have to scan your eyeballs uh, for a little bit of money. And people do it often not out of ignorance, but because they don't know better and they don't have any idea and they need the money. Yeah. So the 20 US dollars that you can get for scanning your eyeballs, people need that. That it's that's that's almost uh, for some this is a monthly income almost, you know? And so I think that's the disgusting game of those uh, currencies is that they explicitly, or, uh, especially go into these countries where people don't have a lot of education about that and then they need money. So there are also not a lot of regulations on these, I would say experiments and therefore people fall for it. And I think it's really the worst of the worst. And how do I approach this? Well, what I've learned, it's, it's sad, but it's the way it is. It's a little bit like 2017 in Austria. When I started, everyone was talking about blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. No one really knew what's meant with it, but they wanted to work in the blockchain space and not with Bitcoin. Um, mm. And the same is now true, like even five years later, it's still the way in, in many African countries, or let me, let me say where I visited and where I spoke to people, 
a lot of people are the first thing what they want to do is trade and trade in the sense of yeah i want to make money fast but that's for the reasons i said before they don't have money and trading in a way uh, is also sometimes a cultural thing you know so there are a lot of people you speak to them uh, they are even peer-to-peer uh, traders so they exchange bitcoin to us dollars or to the local currency and they themselves don't hold bitcoin and I always say to them, why do you not do that? I mean, I visit, we met the first time in 2020. I told you, if you can save a little bit, do it. Now it's 2023 or 2020, end of 2022. I mean, okay, it has fallen between, but it could have gone upwards too. And they still don't hold it. And then I just, you know, you have to give up on a certain point. There are people you can reach and people you can't reach. And, and that's just the way it is. And what I, what I say to them is, look, the difference between Bitcoin and all these other coins is that only Bitcoin is really decentralized. It has no founder. There is no company behind it. All the others have a founder or a, a foundation that is deciding where the, the software and the currency in that way is, is going in the future, like from the development side. And you have those things, you don't have those things in Bitcoin. And therefore, Bitcoin is also much more secure because Bitcoin is built to be here for the next couple of hundred years or maybe a thousand years. I don't know. And the, the idea behind Bitcoin is not the Silicon Valley mantra of uh, build fast and break things. It's exactly the opposite. And that is what you want to have with the money. You don't want to have developers experimenting with the code. And um, like, I think Solana, the blockchain was stopped or stopped two times or three Multiple. times, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's not the innovation. The innov innovation is a decentralized uh, cryptocurrency that can't be double spent, where you don't need human intervention, where everyone can agree on a set of predefined rules and these rules can only be changed in consensus with everyone using the network. And I think um, there is no other cryptocurrency, at least that I know of, that fulfills all of those principles. And yeah, sometimes people still don't care because they still believe that if they use Bitcoin cash, for instance, it's the cheaper Bitcoin. And they can have... like. There's also one belief that people say to me, yes, but this cryptocurrency is still smaller, so I can make higher gains. Uh, yes, yeah. but everything goes up and down with Bitcoin. So your gains will also not be that big for the risk you're taking. So, yeah, I, you know, if people don't trust me, don't believe me, um, they mostly need to get burned by themselves until yeah. they learn. That's a sad thing. And all I can do is offer advice or, or my knowledge and um, helping them looking into the things, but then it's on themselves what they decide to do. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I think almost all of us, I mean, I'm not sure if you did, but most Bitcoiners I know had a shitcoin phase and, um, you know, you, you might've become a Bitcoiner <laughs> first and then saw these shiny lights over here and thought, well, they run faster. I don't believe in them. At least that's what I did. And then I was like, no, this is a total waste of mm. time. So it's only once you get burnt 
I think um, you know that's I think you really learn your lessons and yeah, mm. I tend to say like in life or with your money in particular there are no easy lessons so you I read all the right things you know Lynn Alden was my sort of main guiding light in the beginning and there was no mention whatsoever of Ethereum or this token but I felt that I needed to go and explore that myself so so I think what you're saying <laughs> yes. makes sense <laughs> I did that too. So in 2017, I also bought a very, very small amount of Ethereum, but, and also I also have been using Monero, which is a privacy coin, mm. uh, because I also like, you know, you know, like as an educator, if I never use the other thing, um, I cannot be, uh, no one can believe me that, that uh, Bitcoin, that I've decided that I made my research, you know, yes. um, and but I sold the Ethereum and maybe I still have some Monero somewhere. I don't know, um, but uh, I don't think so. So um, it's also something, you know, it takes time until you know that. And it takes a deeper look into Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoin is like an onion, you know, with uh, several layers of knowledge that you have to unpeel until you come to that uh, conclusion that um, actually only Bitcoin is the thing to go. And and it also, uh, especially from a human rights perspective, for me, Bitcoin is the only t tool that can do what it uh, does for, for people. Um, because Monero, for instance, immediately people know that you maybe have something to hide when you use Monero. And also, there are not far less people are using Monero than Bitcoin. So it's easier to be found. So for me, the ultimate use case is the one in the human rights um, case. You know, like if yes. you are a human rights activist and you need to receive and send money in and out, uh, then uh, Bitcoin is the way to go and not Cardano or USDT or maybe USDT, but definitely not uh, WorldCoin where you have to scan your eyeballs before. Yeah, I mean, which human rights activist would use that? Uh, no, Im impossible. And what's interesting, I'm reading um, Alex Gladstein's book at the moment and just working through um, that at the moment. Uh, I've always got like half a dozen books that I'm sort of halfway through. And yeah, the human rights aspect is obviously fundamental to one of Bitcoin's value propositions, of which there are so many. That's what I love about Bitcoin. As you say, it's got like, mm -hmm. I'm going to clip that. That's going to be the clip. The it's like, a, it's like an onion. I haven't heard that before because you keep learning more and more about it and you go, wow, I can also solve this problem and that problem. Um, so, you know, perhaps you could just talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, uh, in, uh, privacy. I know that's a big focus of yours because now let's assume you've I don't want to say you've convinced someone because I get the sense that your job is more just to educate people. And then you go, if you want to do this, if you want to buy some Bitcoin or get Bitcoin, then I'll help you. But I'm not telling you to do anything. How, how do people custody this stuff now? And what do you actually recommend? Because we can, I often say, uh, well, I don't say this because I've heard it elsewhere, but it's like, some Bitcoin on an exchange is better than no Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin in a hot wallet's better than uh, Bitcoin on an exchange. And so we go down the whole chain until eventually you've got your metal steel plate buried in your garden. Um, so where do we, where do you sort of recommend beginners, at least in Africa as well, um, start from a custody perspective? So um, you're completely right. There are the, these are the different steps on the staircase to financial sovereignty. Like you are pre, you're a pre-coiner 
um, you might all you have no Bitcoin at all. Uh, then you uh, step the ladder up one level, then you have your Bitcoin on an exchange. So you're still not really a Bitcoiner. <laughs> uh, and the next step then is uh, having self-custody. And um, I try to onboard everyone into self-custody immediately. I'm, uh, I mean, if you, for instance, need to use an exchange because you don't have any other opportunity uh, to earn or become bit, uh, get Bitcoin, then yeah, you will need to do it. Uh, but then try to use a uh, exchange that is uh, not KYC. So HODL HODL, for instance, or BISC, or Agora Desk, or Peach Bitcoin. So these are opportunities to, to buy Bitcoin without being listed on, on a list by the government, basically, mm. which uh, infringes your privacy immediately. As soon as you buy Bitcoin on a KYC exchange, your Bitcoin are always or will always be connected and your transactions will always be connected to your identity. Only if you do coin joins then or maybe even also lose, use, the, use the Lightning Network in different ways, then you can get more privacy again, but it's very hard and I think almost impossible. So that's why I would say get your coins uh, on a no KYC exchange or from your peers, you know, go to a Bitcoin meetup, meet with people there. Uh, there are always Bitcoiners who are willing to sell you a little bit like for $20 uh, Bitcoin and help you also set up your first uh, wallet on your phone, which is a hot wallet, as you said. So it's not as secure as a hardware wallet, but I'm, for instance, recommending the green wallet from Blockstream. Others are recommending Nunchuck. And these are all self-custody wallets that give you your seed, your 12-word seed phrase with which you can restore your wallet if your phone gets lost or corrupted. But as you know, you need to keep it safe uh, because anyone who has that used phrase can basically uh, access your money. So I always go for self-custody first. Many people in African countries don't even have a smartphone, but if they have, they then don't have the money and the opportunity to buy a hardware wallet. So for people who can do that, that's the next step. So if you um, have a certain amount of Bitcoin that you really now uh, want to uh, secure even more safe, then yes, I recommend hardware wallets like the Bitbox O2, for instance, or a Trezor um, with a Trezor Model T. You can even do a multi, uh, no, not a multi-sig, a Shamir secret uh, seed split in a, in a secure way. Um, which I would recommend for people who like, if it really goes into higher amounts, yeah, mm -hmm. your, your life savings, I would say. So does that answer your question? Yes, no, exactly. Um, I, I was just interested in terms of like, yeah, how, how one gets around the fact that a lot of people don't have phones and don't mm -hmm. have the money to do, to buy hardware wallets. But I think, yeah, what you're saying makes sense. I mean, people, what I've just heard and seen is that, I guess, within a community context, I suppose people often have access to, let's say, within a, a household, there will be a phone between them all, let's say, potentially, and you could then do that. Um, data remains quite expensive. I know in South Africa, it, it, it is very expensive. I mean, I was blown away when I moved to Australia five and a half years ago that it was like, 
oh, I can just sit on the phone all day and it's basically <laughs> yes. free. <laughs> yes, yes. That's not how it is in Africa. Like everything is crazy expensive. But um, yeah, I think that's, it's interesting what you say there. Now, the other aspect that I think touches on human rights that I'd like to get your view on is, um, and I've heard Lynn Olden talk about this is, and, and this is sort of bringing in, uh, I guess, an equality angle, if you like, there are parts of the world where women have historically been unable to actually own property. Um, if you think of places like like Afghanistan, and I imagine that there also are parts of Africa that still have African customary law, women can't inherit, they can't own property, mm -hmm. but Bitcoin gives them that ability. Have you had any experiences around empowering women uh, in order to effectively own their own money. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, completely correct what you say, yes. I mean, and a lot of uh, women don't, like for instance, in El Salvador, that was an interesting uh, example. I was there at the end of 2021 uh, and uh, we went to a town where there is a, the original Bitcoin community, basically, of uh, El Salvador. And um, they onboarded some restaurants, uh, small restaurants, and we visited one of those. And the owner um, was a, a woman. She was the owner of the restaurant. And she also had the wallet on a phone where she um, basically, where we paid her on her phone. And then we came to realize that, yes, she's the restaurant owner, but the phone is her husband's. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, so it's, it's, look, I mean, even if you have the possibilities, sometimes traditions and, and power structures are that way that it's still the guy is uh, hosting the wallet and, and the money, basically. But there are many uh, also cultural uh, regions where it's different. And yes, Bitcoin, like a Bitcoin wallet, you can, for instance, install a Bitcoin wallet on your phone, write down the seed words, receive some money into it, and then you delete the wallet. So maybe if your husband uh, or the Taliban uh, is inspecting your phone, then there's no wallet on it. So they will never know that you have Bitcoin. And I mean, this is, of course, also true for uh, people who have to flee their country. You can take your seed phrase and take it anywhere in the world. Uh, and then you get yourself a phone, uh, upload, uh, open a wallet, download a wallet and install it and import the seed and you have access to your money again. I mean, how many, how many thousands, billions, not billions, millions of people uh, have had to migrate and flee their country and have lost all of their earnings, uh, not earnings, all of their property, what they owned, all of their money, because it's it's in that bank account. You can't take it away easily with you, you know. So Bitcoin is the best tool for these cases. And yeah, I, I had several women who realized that and, and are using Bitcoin now, yes. Okay, interesting. You, you almost imagine it. What would it have been like in the 1930s in uh, in Europe with um, the rise yeah. of the Nazis? Uh, you know, because uh, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that uh, one of the things that they did was effectively just confiscate any valuables that any of the groups who were mm -hmm. being um, prosecuted or or persecuted, rather, um, effectively all their gold and valuables. So you just wonder mm -hmm. how. Bitcoin could have um, 
assisted during those periods and and what it means for the future i know i was still working in media when russia invaded ukraine and then people were fleeing across and then there were these stories of people who got across the border and then were able to just take their mm -hmm. all their wealth with them so in that sense it's almost like this magic anita i'm conscious of your time and i would like us to touch on one more thing before we roll um, I think most people are relatively familiar with your uh, nonprofit, Bitcoin for Fairness, and the work that you do from an educational perspective and the content you put out online. And I'll put links to all of that in uh, the show notes. But uh, you've recently launched something called Crack the Orange. And um, I've heard you talk about it on another show, but I'd love you to just share with uh, my audience what the initiative is about uh, and kind of what your goals are. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I will. Yeah, it has basically two sides. Um, so the the one side of the Crack the Orange program is that it's a scholarship program for aspiring Bitcoin educators and community leaders from the global south. So people who want to share Bitcoin knowledge in their respective communities are invited uh, to apply for a scholarship and then they can uh, basically stay in the program for a year. The program is uh, the Learn Bitcoin course. So uh, you learn everything about Bitcoin you need to know. Uh, you learn how to set up a wallet. You learn how to, to work with hardware wallets, how to basically uh, securely uh, store Bitcoin and transact with Bitcoin and also the Lightning Network, of course. And uh, they can stay in that program for a year. We have monthly live calls where active members can ask questions in advance that I will answer in the live calls. And um, so that's the one side where I want to empower people from the global south to share Bitcoin knowledge because what I have found is in Africa, for instance, there is not very much. There's minimal minimal knowledge about Bitcoin or people believe it's a total scam. So I think education is very, very important. And I want to scale my education with that online online program too, you know, because it's a, a train the trainer, it's a program for educators. So each single one of them will be able to share their knowledge with maybe five, 10, 50, 100 people, I don't know. But uh, that's the way how I want to bring Bitcoin knowledge adoption to the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the other side uh, is that also people who can afford to buy an online course or a membership in my program are able to, to join it, uh, to enroll in the course. Um, and at the same time, they support my work with it because I'm totally independent. I'm not taking any sponsorships from companies or things like that. And so um, it's really great if people join uh, the program, the community, uh, participate. Uh, they can also basically get to know um, the people from the Global South who are the educators who are doing the scholarship program and things like that. So, yes, that's uh, crackdeorange.com. Perfect. I love it. And because also, yeah, you spoke about the scalability aspect there. It's like, um, I recently had a conversation with Herman Fafir from uh, Bitcoin Akasi. And what he was saying is that, you know, he's not the one going into the townships. He's not the one trying to orange pull people. He's got hand selected coaches who understand Bitcoin and know how to speak to those types of folks rather than him. I think, you know, and with respect to you and me, if either of us try to walk into an average room in Africa, there's always initially a little bit of 
dare I say, suspicion, like, what are you selling me kind of thing? And it's totally almost um, expected in many ways and understandable. Whereas if somebody local who speaks the language is part of the culture and can reason, you know, really speak to the people in terms that they understand, you might be able to just scale it because there's only so many, you know, Anita Poshas going around. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you know, the good thing is, the good thing is that two of the coaches, Lufando and the second one of uh, Bitcoin Ikasi, are yeah. in my program. So <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> that's the great thing also. Yeah. And I met them because I was in uh, Bitcoin Ikasi in Mosul Bay in May 2022. Oh, and I'm also planning, planning to go there again in January. Yeah. So am I. Um, I'm going to the Adopting Bitcoin conference in Cape Town. Cape Town is my hometown. Absolutely love it. And uh, have you been before? Yeah, yeah, I've been several times. And oh, there we go. I'm also going, I'm going to speak at the conference. So we will meet. Brilliant. Okay, I've also got a speaker slot. And um, apparently I'll be doing like a live broadcast of sorts. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, thanks so much for uh, today, Anita. I really appreciate it. It's great to, I suppose, um, meet you over over the internet and then uh, we can meet in person in Cape Town. Um, did you have any places you'd like to direct uh, my audience to go like uh, your, your X handle or something like that? Yes. Please call it Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my X, my X handle would be the handle of my ex partner. So <laughs> no, uh, yes. Uh, so that's Twitter. And I'm like my name, Anita Posh in one word. And uh, also, I'm also on Nosta, but that's not so easy to find. And yeah, uh, the main thing, please, if you're interested, subscribe to my newsletter. It's a free weekly newsletter. You can find it at anita.link slash news. I guess that's very easy. And yes. I'm, I'm happy if more people subscribe because, you know, maybe one day I don't want to be on X anymore and then I can't reach my followers anymore. Or maybe they, they, um, they take down my profile. They did it with one, uh, a friend of mine. Um, he suddenly was banned from Twitter and he doesn't even know why. And if that happens, I want to have uh, the email addresses of my followers. Absolutely. It's become more and more obvious to me, although I've not taken any steps towards it, but you've got to almost, much like we are trying to create, uh, I guess, resilience from a financial perspective by having Bitcoin, like it's fuck you money. And I love that aspect of it. Like you can't take it from me. We need something like that in the media space, which is Nostra. And I'm not really active on it at all, but it's very obvious to me that we can't have we can't just have a bunch of elites, coastal elites in Silicon Valley driving what the conversations can be on YouTube. And then, you know, erratic Elon, who, you know, I don't think yeah. he's necessarily a human rights fan because he'll say one thing <laughs> and then he's got a, a Tesla, um, you know, shop in uh, China. So I'm not really convinced. Mm. So I don't want to be at the whims of these people. So good points. Okay. Super, Anita. It's been really wonderful meeting. And uh, yeah, I look forward to catching up in person. Thank you very much. Yes. Bye. Cheers then. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and that you got some value out of it. Either way, hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think. My handle is Dale21M. If you've got any suggestions as to people you think I should be talking to or topics I should address to, I would love that sort of feedback. 
Otherwise, if you want to support the show, there's a couple different ways you can do that. The first is just to share it amongst your friends and family. The more that people hear the message that Bitcoin and crypto are not the same thing, the better. And I want to help people understand that. The second thing you can do is give me a five-star review on whichever podcast app you're using. Of course, that's only if I deserve it. And last but not least, if you want to stream Satsmoe via the Fountain app, I'm not going to say no, but it's not expected. Thank you so much for your support thus far. It means the world to me. I appreciate the hell out of you and the best is yet to come. Much love, friends. I'll see you on the other side.